Uh, good afternoon, church. Today's scripture will be from Mark chapter 3, verse 7 to 19. I invite you all to stand on your feet as we read together on the count, uh, on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he healed many so that all who had disease pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up onto the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Borgenes, sorry, that is the son of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and, Tom, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys may be seated. It's good to be back. Um, in case you're wondering, I'm tuning in from a different room. Uh, I have my reason, but don't worry, it's not because I'm positive, okay? Some of you are panicking. No, not because I'm positive. If I am, I wouldn't be here. But I have my reason uh, why I tune in from a different room. But if you want to know, you can message me and I'll let you know. I miss you guys. I really do. It's, I think it's been one of the longest weeks that I'm away from Roxanne International. Three consecutive weeks, so that's probably the longest, I think, ever since we started Roxanne International. But it's good to be back, and I really miss you guys. Let me take some time to see faces, if there's new faces that I'm not familiar with. Yes, actually, there is. Okay, I will not be able to get to know you today. Hopefully, you come back next week, and I will get to know you next week, okay? Um, if you're tuning in online also, I would like to say um, welcome. And of course, we would love to have you with us in this building in the near future. And I do want to encourage you to find ways... Um, to be, you know, to honor God's word, the importance of gathering together, but at the same time also uh, sensitive to the situation, also love your neighbors, okay? It's going to be tricky for the next couple of weeks. We know it. It's not going to be easy, but yet God will give us wisdom to it. Amen? Uh, let me pray for before we start. I know Josh already prayed, but I feel like because I wasn't part of in the room, it's not valid. Not really, but let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can gather here and listen to your word. And God, we ask that you speak to us, Lord because we desperately need to hear your word. What we want is not yours' word. What we want is your word. So speak to us. Reveal the beauty of your sons to us through the written word of the book of Mark. So speak to us. We are ready to listen. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, the time can start, actually. So I have some questions for you before we start. Here's a question. Who are you? What is your name? And what is your identity? Now, these questions are questions that we must answer, and you can't escape from this question because you cannot live without knowing who you are, right? Because all of us, deep inside of our heart, we want to feel precious. We want to feel like we're somebody. We want our life to matter. So the question is not whether we have an identity or not, but the question is, what is our identity? 
So, and, and we understand this. We understand. You and understand the importance of a name. Let me give you an example. Parent. When you know you're about to give birth to a baby girl, what do you do? You start to think very hard of a beautiful name that you can give to your baby, right? I mean, you don't pick a random name from the, ba- from the Bible and go, okay, mini, mani, manamo. Ooh, Delilah, sexy. You don't do that. I mean, you don't even ask your neighbors, why, neighbors, what do you think I should name my, my daughter? No. You think hard for name for your baby. Why? Because that baby is precious to you. And over the years, I've seen how creative you can be in naming your baby, okay? People these days are very creative in naming their children. Like, your children's first name, like, it is fantastic. Their middle name, fabulous. Last name, well, we know it's not your fault, right? There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> but here's what I know about those names. Even though those names are beautiful, the idea is you wish that your children will live up to that name. Am I right? But more likely than not, your children are not able to live up to that name. It tells us this, that when we name something, we are actually not capable to bring what we want about, to bring about with that name. We're not able. There's a limit to how much power we have in naming. We can only hope that our daughter, our children, will grow up to be like their name. But there's no guarantee. But when, when it comes to God, it's very different. Because when God names something, whatever God names comes into existence. Remember what happened in Genesis 1? So in Genesis 1, we have this pattern where God said, let there be light. And what did happen? It's not like, like God said, let there be light. And then God moved away and then God creates lights. It doesn't work that way. Whenever God names something, when God said, let there be light, at that moment, light showed up. And that is the power of God. When God names something, it creates reality. God doesn't have to say, well, I wish this will happen. Whatever he says, come to pass. So when we name, we describe the nature of the thing that we're naming. But when God names, he determines the nature of the thing he names. Can you see the difference? It's very different. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Because all of us has a name. Now, I'm not talking about little name. I'm not talking about Yossi, Victor, Josh. No, I'm not talking about that kind of name. I'm talking about our sense of identity. The name that makes us feel valuable and distinct as individual. And all of us have it. But if we're honest, most of the time, we're not able to live up to that name. I mean, we want to, we, but we fail to be who we want to be. And even if we succeed, it's only a matter of time before we lost that sense of identity. Let me give you one example of my own life. The name that I give to myself is this, a preacher. A good preacher is the name that I give to myself. It's how I get my sense of identity. It's how I feel like I'm somebody. But here's what I know about that name. It does not last through any circumstances, any season, and challenges. Again and again, especially when I come back home, I realize that I'm not as a good preacher as I think I am, especially when I start pe- see people start, right, in the sermon. I realize, hold on a second, there's something wrong with my name. That's the bad news. The good news is this, get this, the good news is that Jesus has come to give us a new name. And when Jesus named us, that name is secure. That name can handle whatever challenging situation we face in life. It can handle prosperity, it can handle adversity, it can handle success, it can handle failure, it can handle anything. Now, how many of you want that name? Like, I want that name. 
okay? And in this passage, we'll see how God gave us that name. So I have three points to my sermon. The crowd, the 12, and the new name. Look at the first one, the crowd, verse 7 to 12. So Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, if you remember what happened in the earlier passage, the Pharisees, they could not stand Jesus anymore. Okay? They, so they plotted to kill Jesus with the Herodians. Okay? And by the way, I think, I think Edric preached his best sermon last time when he preached Jesus and the Sabbath. Anyone agree with me? I mean, we're so blessed to have him. Too bad he's not here to receive the praise, but God knows he needs to be humbled, okay? <laughs> but it's what happened. So at this time, there's an unholy alliance between the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they wanted to kill Jesus. And because of that, Jesus decided to withdraw with his disciples to the sea. But a great crowd followed Jesus. And most commentaries agree that at this time, Jesus is at the peak of his popularity. There are at least tens of thousands of people following Jesus, and they include people from different regions. Look at what Mark writes. Mark writes that they're across from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is interesting because Tyre and Sidon, they're not Israel. They're actually part of the Gentiles area. So apparently Jesus' fame has spread so far to the point that great crowd from different regions come to see Jesus. And think about it. In those days, there's no Instagram, no TikTok, no Reel, no Facebook. Because that's how we get our news today, right? I don't know about you. That's how I get my news. There's no internet or newspaper. But in such a short time, Jesus' popularity has spread so far. Because why? Because Jesus healed many diseases and cast out demons. And people have never seen anything like it. So that's why people are interested and they make journey all the way from different regions just to see Jesus. And remember one more time, there's no train, no plane, and no car. So people will actually have to walk for days or use camel for days, even weeks to come to see Jesus. But here's the question. Why are they seeking Jesus? Mark tells us, that the crowd come to see Jesus because they heard of what Jesus can do. And when Jesus sees the size of the crowd, he's concerned. Because he's concerned that the crowd might put him in physical dangers. Think about it. Because everybody at this time, they want a piece of Jesus. I mean, they want to touch Jesus because they heard if they touch Jesus, then they will be healed of their diseases. And because of that, Jesus' concern of the crowd, he might be crushed by the crowd. Let me put it this way. Imagine if BTS member walk around in George Street without security. What do you think will happen? Let me tell you what will happen. George Street will become sea of purple. It will be packed with BTS army wearing purple. And because of that, I can't wear purple anymore now. I love purple, but every time I wear purple, people are like, huh, BTS? No, I have no relationship whatsoever with BTS, okay? 
But here's what you know what happens. So all the fangirls will fight to get as close to BTS as possible. And this can get very dangerous. You know it. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is the great and better BTS, even though he is. But people travel days and night to come to Jesus. And people who travel this far just to come to see Jesus, they will not be denied. They will want to touch Jesus in hope that they will be healed. And they will not let anyone get in their way. And this put Jesus in physical danger. So he tells his disciples, get a boat ready so that he can distance himself from the crowd. Now, do you see what happened here? The crowd, they want Jesus. For what? Because Jesus can give them something. They seek Jesus for their well-being. They want to suck everything out of Jesus. And they determine to get to Jesus even if they have to crush Jesus. But in spite of all that, Jesus still tend to their needs. And then what's amazing is the demon possessed people see Jesus. They get on their knee before Jesus and they cry, what? You are the son of God. And this is amazing because this is actually the first time in the book of Mark that Jesus revealed his sonship. And do you know who revealed them? Not prophets, not apostles, but who? The demons. It tells us something. The demons know exactly who Jesus is. The crowd only think of Jesus as a miracle worker. But the demons understand, oh no, he's more than a miracle worker. He's the son of God. And that's why they bow down before the king of the universe. And once again, Jesus said, oh, shut your mouth, get out. Okay, Jesus rebuked the devil and they walk away. But isn't it interesting? I mean, if you read the Old Testament, you will see some demonic activities in the stories, but not many. But when you get to the life of Jesus, all these demons start to pop up out of nowhere, right? It's everywhere. Do you know why? Here's why. Because when Jesus come into this world, the kingdom of God invades the earth. Because the rightful king has returned and the enemies are now frightened and restless before King Jesus. So what we can we learn from it? There are two things. First, it's not enough for us to be fans of Jesus. Because the great crowd here, they're a huge fan of Jesus. And what the crowd seeks, not Jesus, not his message, but what Jesus can do for them. And we know all throughout the book of Mark that this is not Jesus' priority. Jesus continued to tell them again and again that I have come to preach the gospel. I have come to declare to re- for you to repent and believe in the gospel. But what happened with the crowd, the crowd, they're not really interested in Jesus nor his message. What the crowd wants is for Jesus to give them what they need. For Jesus to care, for, for Jesus to finally answer what they actually want. They want Jesus to give them their physical needs. And I'm not saying that Jesus does not care about physical needs because Jesus healed sick. Jesus cares about your family. Jesus cares about your work. Jesus cares about your situation. Jesus cares about your study. Jesus cares about your children. He cares. But the question that we must answer at the end of the day is this, what is our priority? Are we more concerned with Jesus fulfilling our physical needs or our spiritual needs? And let me put it a different way. Do we want Jesus for Jesus or do we want Jesus for what he can do for us? Because if we desire Jesus mainly for what he can do for us, then we are just like the BTS fan who will crush Jesus to get what they want. We are simply fangirling Jesus. 
It's like this. Imagine if you're drowning on the sea and you struggle to stay afloat. And you thought, that's it, I'm going to see Jesus. You thought you're going to die? Then suddenly a lifeboat came to your rescue. How do you feel? You feel extremely grateful, right? Oh my gosh, I'm saved. So you are so grateful and you're very thankful for the lifeboat. But it does not necessarily mean that you love the captain of the lifeboat. And that's what we often do, right? We often simply see Jesus as a means to an end. We want all His gift, but we do not want Him. We enjoy all His blessing, but we do not love the blesser. Okay, that's the first one. But the second thing that we can learn from here is this. It is not enough for us to know about Jesus. Now think about it. The demons know exactly who Jesus is. They know better than the crowd. They have good theology. They know that Jesus is the Son of God, which tells us something. Good theology does not guarantee relationship with Jesus. Now, I need to say this because I know you. I know our church. Many of you have good theology. I mean, you love to read what? Piper? Keller? You listen to Village Church and Gospel in Life podcasts. How do I know? Because I'm your pastor. You get it from me. I love theology. But here's where we must be very careful. Just because we know so much about Jesus does not mean we have relationship with Jesus. Because as awesome as Piper and Keller are, they're another group of beings who have even better theology than them. They're called the demons. See, Piper and Keller, they learned their theology from dead men. But the demons, they graduated from the best college, the best Bible college in the universe called Heaven University. Their professors was not Martin Luther nor George Calvin. They learned their theology from God. See, if Piper and Keller might what, have what, 60, 70 years to study theology, the demons had eternity to study theology. But let me tell you something about the demons. The demons have good theology, but they're still demons. The demons have the right knowledge of God, but they refuse to worship Jesus. And I was guilty of the very same thing. See, there were times in my life where I followed hard after Jesus. I was very active in ministry, very diligent in my theological study, not because I love Jesus, but because I wanted to be famous for following Jesus. Now, do you see the difference? See, from the outside, everyone around me thought I was a great Christian. From the outside, I tick all the boxes of a good Christian to the point that many aunties want to marry off their daughter to me. True story. But in the reality is inside of me, I did not have a relationship with Jesus. I was empty. But do you see the danger here? I can easily fool you and everyone around me, even myself, into thinking that I'm a good Christian because I have so much information about Jesus, but deep inside, I did not love Jesus. I love myself using Jesus. And that's what fence does. So what do we need to do? Okay, let's move on to the next point. The 12. Mark 3, verse 3, 13 to 19. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named Apostle, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, 
and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bornegus, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the sons of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So this is what happens. So after escaping the crowd, Jesus goes up to the mountain and he calls to him those whom he desires. So this is the part where Jesus actually appoints the 12 apostles. And once again, we see the similar pattern that Jesus displayed before. It is not people who choose to follow Jesus. It is Jesus who summoned those whom he desired to him. Okay, and this goes against the norm of that culture. Because remember what I told you before? The norm of that culture is the student will choose their teachers. Okay, it's very different from us. In our day today, okay, we are the one who seeks university, not university that seeks us. But Jesus is different. He called those whom he desired. But I want you to pay attention to the people that he chose because this is fascinating. First, look at Simon, whom Jesus gave the name Peter. Now, if you do not know Peter, Peter is very impulsive. Peter is the type of person who acts first and think later. Any, any, anyone like that? Okay, that's like my life story, mate. Okay, and Peter often gets into trouble because Peter, he doesn't wait for things to happen. He makes things happen. Like he's the real man. Okay, and one, one, there's one time that J, uh, Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, I know who you are. You are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well, well done, mate. You got me right. And then Jesus goes on and say, well, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be that, and I'm going to rise on the third day. And Peter said, not in my watch. I'm going to protect you with my life, and I'm not going to let anyone come near you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Right? This is Peter. So Peter is a very impulsive person who messed up again and again. But if you pay attention to the account of the 12 apostles, Peter's name is always mentioned first when Jesus appointed the 12 apostles. And we know from history, Peter ended up being the leader of the 12. Out of everyone Jesus could have called, Jesus desires Peter. Look at the second name. Look at John and James, you know, the Bornegas, which means the sons of thunder. I mean, can we agree that it's a cool name? I mean, I want someone to call me the sons of thunder. Okay, Thor. But I don't have the body to be Thor. Well, we're not exactly sure why Jesus named them sons of thunder, but they do not fare better than Peter. Because one time, here's what happened. One time they go to Samaritan village and the Samaritan rejected them because the Jews and Samaritan, they hate one another. And these two men come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you like to ask to call fire from heaven and burn them? I mean, these two men want to nuke a village in Jesus' name. I mean, that's the Bible. That's the real story. I mean, they certainly do not show the fruit of the Spirit in their life. But here's what the Bible says. Jesus desire John and James. Look at Simon the Zealot. Okay, if you don't know what a zealot is, a zealot is a religious political group sworn to assassinate enemies of Judaism, like the Romans and the tax collector. So they have freedom fighters. So if you, if you like to play a game, Simon is like the main character in Assassin's Creed. He goes around killing people. He's a dangerous man. But then again, Jesus desires Simon and calls Simon to him. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Matthew is a tax collector who's hated by the public, 
Thomas is a doubter. Philip, always the last person to actually understand what Jesus means. So if we look at the name of these people, we understand that none of these guys, let me tell you, none of these guys will pass the screening to be one of the leaders in our church. None. But the Bible says, Jesus desired them. Jesus called them to him. And Jesus appointed them to be the 12th apostle. So what does it teach us? It teaches us a very important lesson. Jesus does not choose the qualified. Jesus qualified whom he chooses. All the apostles are flawed people with many failures. And yet, Jesus desired them and chose them. See, what makes these people different from other people is not because they're better. It's not because they're more educated. It's not because they're well-connected. They're unschooled, ordinary men. But what separates them from the rest of the group is that Jesus desires them. And the good news is, if Jesus desires people like them and use them for his mission, Jesus can use us in his mission today. I love the way Oswald Chambers put it. God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependent on their natural abilities and resources. So here's the good news. If tonight that you think that you're nobody, you are the perfect candidate for God to use you. You are. Because it is not our ability that qualifies us to be used by God. It is our dependence on God's power and grace. I want that to be encouragement to all of us. Because maybe some of you tonight, you say, well, yes, that's sweet. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know how messed up my past was. You don't know what I went through. You do not know what the failure that I experienced. And yes, I might not know how shady your past is. But Jesus knows every little details of your shady past. And he desires you. He wants you. He calls you to himself. And he's not surprised by it. When you come to him, he's not surprised. Oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry. I didn't realize that you were this bad. No, Jesus said, come. And the goodness of the gospel is, is that the sovereign king of the universe knows every little detail about you, and he desires you. So let that sink in for now. Like Jesus Christ, he knows your shadow past. There's nothing you can hit from him, and he desires you. He calls you to him. He wants to use you to accomplish his purpose on the earth. So the choosing of the 12 tell us that Jesus specialized in using broken people to accomplish glorious purposes. And look at the last point, the new name. Some of you, ooh, last point. My last point is long. Verse 14 and verse 15. And he appointed 12, whom he also named Apostle, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So Jesus not only called the 12 to him, but here's what happened. He gave them a new name, a new identity. Okay, let me just give you one example. 
Jesus gave Simon a new name. What is Simon's new name? Peter. Do you know what Peter means? Rock. And this is very interesting because think about it. Rock is firm and steady. Rock is a foundation. Okay? But if you look at Peter's life, he's anything but firm and steady. Because Peter is the man who swear to Jesus, Jesus, I will never ever betray you. Jesus, I will be there in your times of need, only to deny Jesus three times in a matter of a few hours. The dude is very shaky. But if we look at the end of his life, history tells us, Peter is so steadfast to his faith to the point that he died being crucified upside down. Peter is as firm as a rock. Now, do you see what happened? When Jesus named Simon Peter, Jesus is not wishing that Peter will be as firm as his rock. No. Jesus is transforming Peter to be as strong as a rock. Jesus' naming has that power. So if you're ugly and Jesus named you beautiful, Jesus can't be wrong. He makes you beautiful. If you're weak and Jesus says you're strong, He makes you strong. In other words, Jesus has the power to call into being out of nothing that which he named as he named it. And why this is crucial? Because this is what Jesus does with the 12. So Mark writes that Jesus appointed the 12 apostles. And the word appointed is weak, I'm sorry. But the actual Greek word here is actually the word create. So Jesus not only calls the 12, but he creates the 12. Okay? So he does not simply appoint them. He makes them into something else. That's why Jesus gave them a brand new name. You know what's the name that Jesus gave them? Apostle. What does apostle mean? Apostle means sent out once. So Jesus named them the apostles so that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, some of you who know theology might argue me, oh, that's why you're wrong, yes. Stop there. Yes. We are not the apostle. We are not the apostle. The apostles are the specific people that God chose for very specific purpose. And I say yes and amen. We are not the apostle. The apostles are unique. But, here's my big but. Okay, that sounds wrong. But we know the call and commission of the apostle is representative of the call of every disciple of Jesus. How do I know? Because we recite it every single week. Okay, do you know the first that I'm going to go to? Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Okay, let's recite this together in kind of three. One, two, three. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is Jesus' word, not to the apostle, but to every disciples. So that, that means we know that Jesus' call and commission to the apostles also apply to us. So what does it mean then? Three things. So what are we called to do as disciples of Jesus? First, we are to be planted in a community. I know we say this again and again, but this is crucial. Following Jesus is a personal choice. I'm not going to take that away from you. But it is a community project. 
We can see it from this text. Jesus not only called a single person to be an apostle. Jesus called a group of people and named them the apostles. But not only that, think about it. Why does Jesus call 12 people? Why not 5, 6, or 11? The answer is because Jesus is not making a basketball, a volleyball, or a soccer team. But why 12? Do you know the significance of the number 12? In the book of Exodus, Moses went up to a mountain, called the 12 tribes together, and named them into a new nation. You guys are nation of Israel. So now when Jesus goes up to a mountain, he called 12 people together. He's saying this, I'm creating a new people. I'm creating a new community of the sent out ones. You know what Jesus is doing? He's establishing the church. And every time Jesus called an individual to come to him, he always placed that individual in a group called church. Which means, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. None. Every Christian is placed in a group called the church. It is the, through the community in the church that Jesus is actually shaping us and creating us to be who he wants us to be. So if right now, if you're not planted in a community, here's my encouragement. It is absolutely crucial. If you want to grow as a disciple, you need to be planted in a community. Because otherwise, you won't be able to grow. You desperately need other people around you for you to thrive as a disciple of Jesus. Okay? That's the first one. The second one that we can see from this passage is this. We are to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus means this, that we do not follow Jesus to get something else. We follow Jesus to get Jesus. Now, you see the difference there? To be with Jesus means that when Jesus called us, we are to follow him, to watch him, to spend time with him, learn from him, listen to him, and know him. Because the subject of the call is Jesus himself. So to be with Jesus I means Jesus is not simply a mean to an end. Jesus is the mean, and Jesus is the end. He is. Our relationship with him is what matters. It is a language of intimacy. So to be with Jesus, you cannot say, all right, I'm going to be with Jesus on Sunday, every Sunday from 4 to 6. That's not being with Jesus. To be with Jesus is actually to spend time with him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And this is discipleship. And we must get this right. Because when we talk about discipleship, a lot of time we talk about information, knowing more about Jesus, having more knowledge about Jesus, but it's not. Discipleship is a relationship. It is about the who before it's about the what. And we, when we are in a relationship with Jesus, it changes us. You guys need to get this. There's a big, big difference between hanging out with Jesus and being with Jesus. Because if you are being with Jesus, that means you stick with him no matter what happened. So you stick with him on the road to the cross, on the road of suffering. You stick with him and you experience the toil, the suffering, the pain, the betrayal that Jesus experienced. It means we must walk down the path of the cross on our way to glory. But it also means this. To be with Jesus also means you have to experience the kiss of Jesus. Okay, let me explain to you what I mean. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus gave this parable of the prodigal son. 
So this is what happened. The son took his share of the inheritance while his dad was still alive, abandoned his family, and then squandered all the money. And after he lost all the money, he reached the lowest point of his life to the point that he could not afford a single meal. And pig's food, not pig's, pig's food looked like crispy pork belly to him. So he decided to come home and become one of his dad's servants. But when his dad saw him from a distance, you know what his dad did? His dad ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Now, I want you to imagine that scene with me because we are very familiar with that scene to the point that we don't really understand what's really happening. At this time, the son, the lost son, was covered in filth and dirt because he was feeding pigs. And I'm sure he smelled like one. But what his dad did is the opposite of everything expected of him. Because everyone expected the father to treat the son as if he was dead. But instead, when the father saw that his sons are walking toward him, you know what the father did? The father ran towards him. The father forget all his pride, any right, any honor. Why? In order to get to his son a second faster. And the moment that he got to his son... He embraced him and he kissed him. He kissed his stinking, filthy son. And what's amazing, the son haven't even had the chance to apologize. The son haven't even had the chance to say, Dad, I'm sorry. And the father already embraced him and kissed him. And the kiss of the father changed everything for the son. Listen. It is one thing to know Jesus loves us. It is another thing to experience the sweetness of his kiss when we are covered in filth and dirt. So my question is this. Have you experienced that kiss? Have you experienced that kiss that looked beyond your stinkiness and your dirt and your filthiness, that love you despite all your mess? And not only that, the kiss transformed your life. Have you experienced the kiss of Jesus? Because when you do, Jesus is reshaping your identity and your love. Following Jesus is not about what we can do for Jesus. It's about who Jesus is making us. And third, to be disciples of Jesus means that we are to be sent out. So we're not only called to be with Jesus, I mean that's sweet, but whenever Jesus calls someone to be with him, he always sent them out as well. So we're not only the recipient of God's grace, but we also become extensions of God's grace. That means there's time for us to gather, but also there's time for us to be sent into the world. And the word sent out means this, that what we do, we do it in the name and the authority of the one who sent us. Okay, there's a term for it. Okay, if you've been in our church for a while, you know this term. The term for it is what? An ambassador. So what happened is that when kings uh, cannot come to some places, kings will send out ambassadors to different places to represent them. And if someone went as an ambassador of the king, it was like the king went himself. So when the ambassador come to a certain place, literally the king was there. Okay? It's as if the king himself has come. And this is the picture that Mark gives us. Jesus called us to himself that he sent us out as ambassadors. 
And everywhere we go, we are ambassadors of King Jesus. And this king is no ordinary king. Jesus said what? I have all the authority of heaven and earth. So when you go for Jesus, when you go in Jesus' name, you actually go with the authority of Jesus. The authority of heaven and earth is with you. To do what? To preach the gospel. To preach the gospel, the good news of the gospel. We are to proclaim to everyone, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And when we do that, the promise is this, you're not doing it in your own authority. Your own authority can do nothing, nada. But the promise of Jesus is this, when you proclaim the gospel, His authority is with you. And the power of the gospel to save does not lie on us. It lies on the person who sent us. And that is why we can proclaim the gospel boldly. We have the authority of Jesus. But here's where it gets interesting. Not only that, but we are also called to cast out demons. Okay, what does it mean? It means that starting next week, we are going to start a brand new ministry called Exorcism Ministry. And if you're interested, contact Novi. She's the new leader of that ministry. Okay, that's not what it means. What does it mean to cast out demons? It means that we should go out into the world and make a change with the author of Jesus. Because when we have been given the author of Jesus, we're not called to sit on the sidelines and play safe in, within the walls of the church. Because the world that we live in right now is under the influence of the kingdom of evil. And we, as ambassadors, we are called to confront evil. And if we understand this, it means there's no such thing as comfortable Christian. There's no such thing as comfortable Christian. Why? Because Christianity, by definition, is a war. So what's happening all around us is this. Right now, when you step out of this room, there's a kingdom of evil that wants to destroy us. But we go out there as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. That means there's a war between two kingdoms. And if you did not realize that life is a war, Christian is a war, that you are in big trouble. Let me give you an example. One of the things that really bothered me about the Holocaust is this. Germany was predominantly Christian at the time. Historians noted that of the 300 million people under Nazi, 90% were Christian. Not one nine, nine zero, ninety percent. But only less than one percent acted to save the Jew. Now, if you're not disturbed by that, you should. Because it means that the majority of German Christians decided to stay comfortable, decided to play safe within this Christian zone, and they refused to confront evil with the authority of Jesus. And that is my fear for many Christians today. I fear the enemy knows exactly how to make us feel comfortable with our safety zone, with our work, with our family, with our Korean drama, with our Netflix, with our games, that we forgot that we are in a war. Our king sent us to go out into the world, not to be like the world. We are to go out there and invade the enemy's territory with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So let me sum it up like this. Christians have been sent by Jesus into the world to confront evil with the authority of Jesus. This is our mission as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Christianity is a war, my friend. And yet when we fight in the war, we have the power and the authority of King Jesus. There's no reason for us to be afraid. So this is what it means for us to be disciples of Christ. We are to be planted in a community. We are to be with Jesus. And we are to be sent out. The question for you tonight is this. Are you fans of Jesus? Or are you disciples of Jesus? Let me close with this. When we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus has given us a brand new name. And this new name cannot be taken away from us. It remains with us forever. And in that name, we have been given the task and the authority to be the ambassadors of King Jesus. Okay? In Luke chapter 10, there's this wonderful, fascinating story. What happened is this. So Jesus sent out the disciples two by two to go to different cities and preach the gospel. And he gave them the authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. And so the disciples came back to Jesus and they were very excited. And they tell Jesus, Jesus, it's amazing. I mean, you should have seen what we did, Jesus. Even the demons are subject to your name. And Jesus smiled and said, Do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, this is what Jesus said. Guys, I know you guys did a wonderful thing in my name, but do not rejoice in the fact that you can do many things for me. Do not rejoice in the fact that even the demons subject to you. Do not rejoice in the fact that you are able to heal the sick. Do not get your identity from it because it's shallow. But rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice that you are mine and no one can take you away from me. But here's the question, and I finish. Do you know? Do you know what it cost Jesus to give you that name? Do you know what it cost Jesus to have your name, my name, engraved in heaven right now? In every list of the 12 apostles, there's always a single name that always mentioned last. Do you know who? Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. And Judas' name was on the list, not by accident. Jesus knew exactly that Judas would betray him, and he still chose Judas. Do you know why? Because that is the very price. That is the cost of our new name. Jesus was willing to be betrayed. He faced injustice, mock, and beaten to death at the cross. Why? Because he took my place, your place. He suffered the justice of God. He satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. And that is the reason that today you and me can have new name. Get this. The reason our names could be engraved forever in heaven is because Jesus' name was blotted out from the land of the living at the cross. That's it. And by his death, Jesus gave you and me a brand new name. He called us his beloved. So now when you put our faith in him, when you put your faith in him, 
we receive a brand new name. Our name is no longer guilty. Our name is righteous. Our name is no longer slave to sin. Our name is free from sin. Our name is no longer condemned before God. Our name is holy before God. Our name is no longer sinner. Our name is the children of God. And this is the name that Jesus purchased for us at the cross. And I'm going to tell you good news about this name. Nothing and no one can take this name away from you. This name remains in all circumstances, all situations, all suffering, anything that you went through. This name stands secure. We are forever His. And Jesus said, rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that you call us to yourself. You chose us. Despite of our mess, despite of our weakness, despite of our flaw, you desire us. And that's the good news of the gospel, that we are not qualified you qualify us by dying at the cross so if there's any of us Lord that hear this sermon that we have yet surrendered our life to you I pray that today or maybe we are Christian but we are fans we're not disciples I pray that today Holy Spirit that you stir our heart and turn us from fans into disciples. I pray that the beauty of your Son will continue to captivate our hearts in such a way that we cannot help but to surrender our life to you. So help us, Lord, to grow as a disciple. If there's any of us in this place that have yet to come to know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Holy Spirit, that today will be the day that we confess that you are Lord and Savior. And I pray that any of us today, Lord, that we have yet to become disciples, I pray that the Spirit of God, the grace of God, will compel us to be a disciple of Jesus. And use us, Lord. Use us as to be your ambassadors wherever we are. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.